0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. By the way, the Ten Commandments are probably the most um, influential set of moral standards ever written in the entire world. And yet, things like coveting, people aren't quite sure what that means. Um, In fact, you could ask people on the street to name the Ten Commandments, how many do you think they'd name? Three or four? Three or four, I think. That's about it. Um, It's amazing how much we don't really know, or how we minimize what they actually say. And so today, the commandment, probably more than any other we try to minimize what it means, is this one from Deuteronomy 5.20. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Okay. You've heard it bear false witness, right? And so we think it means what? What do you think it means? Don't lie, right? But that's not what he said. He doesn't say just don't lie, okay? He says bear false witness against your neighbor. So we're going to look at that truth and what it means to live into that truth as a community. In fact, I think it's foundational for any community to have a community of truth where you can trust what other people say and do, Okay, So we're going to be looking today at three points about bearing false witness and how they impact what it means to be a community. And that is what your neighbor actually needs from you, why they need it so much, and how you can be a person of truth. So what your neighbor needs. And I think it does come down to that. It's what your neighbor needs, what you also need from your neighbors. And that is to have truthful speech acts. Now, I know that's kind of an odd way. You've probably never heard of the speech act kind of thing. But that's actually what they are. They're not just words. It's not just about information. It's fascinating, actually. The word here in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and why I chose Deuteronomy rather than Exodus, where the Ten Commandments are also read, is for this Hebrew word that's used here, just a little difference of a nuance of a Hebrew word than the one that's used in um, Exodus 5. And that word is shawwe. Now, I could have said anything, and you wouldn't have known, right? But it's read from, um, from right to left. So that's a shin, a wow, and an aleph and it means actually a vain or worthless or empty word that includes false words, but other words as well. It's not so much just about the fact that don't lie. There's a movement, actually, that was introduced by Oxford philosopher J.L. Austin. He had a book called How to Do Things with Words. And in it, he talks about what is called speech acts. That speech speech does something. It doesn't just give information. Um, And the fact that statements are not about what they say, but about what you intend them to do. Okay? And uh, it's called speech act theory. So for instance, you might say, wow, you really look good today. Right? I could say that. Now the question is. What am I intending with those words? Am I trying to encourage someone that day, or am I trying to butter them up and to manipulate them by starting out with those words? Do you understand what I mean? The one would be absolutely true. It's true both ways. You look marvelous today. But the one is kind of a deceptive word, even though it's true. Do you get what's going on here with that? And oh my goodness, do you start seeing the implications of what it means to bear a false witness? Um, Do you want, what do you want to do with your words? You can speak truth to mislead. Yeah, by just sharing enough and letting people fill in the blanks their own way. We do that all the time, right? And that does go against this commandment as well. So it's really more about, this commandment is more about what you intend with your words and how they act rather than what they just say. So um, this means that when you indulge in political speech, when you advertise your market, when you report to your investors, when you give information to your customers, When you report to superiors or supervisors or to those who work under you, whatever you say, you not only must not lie about it, but you have to also not just share selective truths that misrepresent the whole picture. Oh, my goodness. Now do you get it? Oh, wow. This one's tough. You know, And it's not just that our culture is swimming in this kind of speech. We are drowning in it. <laughs> it's everywhere. Social media is a cesspool of speech acts that are just false, or misleading, or intended to harm, or to withhold, or you name it. Isn't it amazing how we are just filled with it? So much so, you wonder who you can trust and what you can trust. And how do you go about living? Now, I think, uh, students, you know of a very good example of uh, bearing false witness on our campus at FGCU, Okay, The campus preachers, or screamers as some of them have called them lately, um, they they are speaking true words. They're speaking scripture. But what do they intend? when they share those scriptural passages. Do you understand? Do they intend to encourage, to inform, to lift up, to draw people into the loving arms of Jesus? It seems they intend to provoke, to harass, to actually overpower, and to intimidate, and to punish other people with them. And in that way, that is a false witness, not a true witness, Now, I could also, and pastors do this too, it's not just I can point to that group out there doing it. It's amazing how easy it is for even within the Christian community to say truth statements about those people out there and how society is going to hell in a handbag and that group over there and this group over there but what do I intend with those words? Just to inform you? You already know most of those facts. No, often what it's done is to build us up and to make us feel good about how righteous we are compared to everyone else. And that would be a false witness. When you speak, don't spin, don't exaggerate, don't withhold truth, don't lie, don't be a vain or worthless or false witness. That's what this text is getting at. So that's what your neighbor needs, that you would be a true witness, that you would speak truthfully in love. But why do they need it so much? Our second point. Now, I mentioned before, the form of this commandment is a social one. This is not a commandment that is just about you. God did not say, thou shalt not lie. He said, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Right? And so it's all about human community and how we live together. That's what this command is really about. And the linguistic metaphors, both here in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20, the two places the Ten Commandments are recorded, is one of a court of law in which you would get up to testify. And as we do, you know, uh, I, tell, I'm, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? Don't we say that? And we assume, wouldn't it be nice to just minimize it and just leave it? It's only when I'm under oath where I could be threatened with perjury that that's when I have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yeah, but what's amazing is that's not the only context of it. It might be the metaphor that's being used, but when Jesus gets a hold of these words, he kind of shows you how broad this goes. In the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, it's much of an explication of all of the commandments and how to live as his followers and how God intended a lot more than what the people of God want, you know, we want to minimize, and he is showing us the full implication of it. And in Matthew chapter 5, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair of your hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And what Jesus is really saying is, you're always on the witness stand, wherever you are. Keep it simple. Keep it truthful. You're always before God. You need to be a truthful witness at all times and to keep your word golden as much as you possibly can just to be truth, to share truth, to witness to the truth. And God has made this world in such a way that only by people being and aligning themselves as much to the truth can we even have community. Lewis Mead writes it this way, truthfulness is one more invisible fiber that holds people together in humane community. When we cannot assume that people communicating with us are truthful, we cannot live with them and trust that they will respect our right to freedom to respond to reality. If we cannot trust each other to respect this basic right, we have lost our chance to be human together in God's manner. Speak the truth. Be the truth. For your truth sets others free. That's something worth kind of sitting in for a while. Letting what he is saying here kind of guide us. Now, we've seen o- the opposite of this historically um, when community does really break down. I recall um, just rejoicing. <laughs> in 1989, when the Berlin Wall collapsed, when Eastern Europe was freed in one form or another, I had friends, um, <clears throat> Ingrid Rosa and Erhard Paust, that had lived in Karl Marxstadt in East Germany, that I had visited in '87, two years before that, that were now for the first time able to travel, able to not, they were they freely shared their faith anyways, with whatever repercussions. But they now had much more alignment in their whole nation with the truth. It finally broke down the whole lie that was being lived out in mass. Vaclav Havel, I don't know if you've heard of him, he was a Czech statement, statesman, author, poet, playwright. He was a dissident during the, the time of Czechoslovakia. And he served as the last president of Czechoslovakia from 1989 until 1992. And then from there, he was the president of the Czech Republic till 2003, a winner of countless prizes for courage, for his promoting of democracy, his insight into our modern culture and all of our malaise. And four years before the Berlin Wall fell in 1985, he wrote a very powerful and truthful piece called The Power of the Powerless. And he describes how the totalitarian state broke down because it's based on lies. And this is what he writes. Life in the system is so thoroughly permeated with hypocrisy and lies, because the regime is captive to its own lies. It must falsify everything. It falsifies the past, it falsifies the present, and it falsifies the future. It falsifies statistics. It pretends not to possess an omnipotent and unprincipled police apparatus. It pretends to respect human rights. It pretends to persecute no one. It pretends to fear nothing. It pretends to pretend nothing. Individuals need not believe all these mystifications, but they must behave as though they did. They need not accept the lie. It is enough for them to have accepted their life with it and in it. For by this very fact, individuals confirm the system, fulfill the system, make the system, are the system. So he basically is saying in this entire thing is that the totalitarian system stayed in place based on lies, but broke down because the lies could not be maintained. And finally, it all fell because there were people like Havel who finally spoke the truth to power and did not put up with the lies at great cost to himself and at great risk. But it was absolutely important because the system cannot live. Community cannot be without truth as its foundation. To tell the truth is to allow people to be free. That's why you need to be a true witness, even sometimes at great cost. So how can you become a person of truth? This is probably the most existential, the most poignant of the points, and probably the one I don't want to hear myself. (laughs) Because, like I said, it can be at great cost to speak truth to power. And we have seen how prevalent in our whole society half-truths, misleading statements have become. We've just accepted them. Are we being complicit? We, at least here at Thrive, hopefully the Christian community, can model how to speak the truth to one another in love and to live out truth, the truth of Jesus Christ in a world that's not filled with too much of it right now. You know, people will try to motivate you to speak the truth in a couple of different ways. Um, any of you uh, have a clue as to you know, why should you speak the truth? What would people say? It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> OK, beyond that, anything else? You don't want to get caught because it pays to tell the truth. It always works out in the end, because lies are really hard to sustain. I think it was that's why uh, Mark Twain said something like, tell the truth, because it's just too hard to keep the lies up, because you forget what the lies are, and then you get caught finally. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't always pay to tell the truth. Not always. Maybe most of the time. But that's one motivation. The other way to motivate people is to say, you don't want to be like those people over there who lie. You're better than that. But the truth is, I'm not better than that. We're all morally corrupt and broken. The Bible does neither of these. The Bible doesn't tell you that it always pays off when you tell the truth. And the Bible doesn't butter you up and make you better than other people. The gospel's the great leveler, man. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. What's amazing is the way that even the Ten Commandments are set up here, both in uh, Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, where they're both like repeated or spoken, is God does not say, you're better than those people. And he doesn't say, if you follow these, then everything's going to be good in your life. But instead, this is how he begins the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 5, it says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, the Ten Commandments don't start with, if you follow these, it'll work out for you. And the Ten Commandments don't say, you're better than those people, and that's why I'm giving these to you. The Ten Commandments start out with what God has done for you and the truth of the matter, that you were slaves in Egypt, and I rescued you. I loved you. I've chosen you. I've wanted you. I did everything for you. His words. And his actions go together to save you. And just as God broke into human history and broke through the lies of the slavery of the children of Israel in Egypt, so God has broken into human history and spoke the truth in the person of Jesus Christ. And in him, we see again and again that he spoke the truth in the face of very powerful people around him and pays the consequence for that. But because the truth that really matter is the truth of his love and undying compassion for you. You know, what's amazing to me is you can read the New Testament letters. Um, I used this in the New Testament class this week at FGCU, the letter of the Ephesians. And what's fascinating in Paul's letters is he doesn't motivate people to you know, speak the truth in love simply because it's good for them or because um, you're better than other communities around you than the Greek world. He instead motivates the people of the church in Ephesus based on what God has already done for them in Jesus Christ. It's amazing from the third verse after his, you know, just greeting to all the way through chapter 1, 2, and 3. Three chapters of just what God has done for you and how great his salvation is for you and what he has done. He starts out with, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and then he'll go on for two more chapters after this to talk to you and to us about what he has done, how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet he made us alive in Christ Jesus, for by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, and how he has now united us and broke down the barrier that was between all humanity through his cross, how he has redeemed us, forgiven us, restored us, empowered us, filled us with his spirit. He keeps going on because that, the gospel, the good news that Jesus is for you, the good, the good news that Jesus died for you, rescues you, carries you, wants you, loves you with an everlasting love, knows every truth about your life, every fact even more, and speaks a greater truth of his love and mercy and grace over you. There is nothing that you need to be afraid of or ashamed of in your life because of his grace covers it all. That's the truth. And only after all of that, <laughs> in chapter 4, he finally gets to, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Finally. He starts getting, if you want to say practical, I don't know. That's your response. Walk in a manner worthy. And then even in that chapter, he'll say, therefore, having put away falsehood, let us, each one of you, speak the truth for his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We speak the truth because God has made us neighbors. We speak the truth because he has spoken his truth over us. Did you realize that um, (laughs) during Jesus' um, trial, where he was standing before the Sanhedrin, the elders of Israel, that they brought up false witnesses who didn't say something totally untrue, just left out some facts. Oh, well, he's going to destroy the temple. That's what he said. And according to the Gospels, they contradicted each other. They couldn't even get their story straight ahead of time. But the whole intent of their speech acts, even in speaking what they did, was to destroy him, to get rid of him. And when he stands in front of Pilate, they've changed the story, by the way, by that point in time. No longer are they talking about blasphemy. Now they're talking about insurrection. He claims to be a king. Opposed to Caesar. Oh, that's a new one. And when he, standing before Pilate, who has the power over life and death in front of him, when he could share just a little enough to get off the hook on this matter, saying, well, that's what they're saying, and leave it at that. Or, well, the kingdom I'm talking about, he speaks the truth. Yes, I am a king, not like the ones of this world, but I am still a king. And the moment he says that, he is a dead man walking. The moment he speaks the truth and bears witness to the truth, he will be mocked and spit upon and crucified. And he does that for you. He bears all of the lies of this world And Pilate, (laughs) the political animal himself, does write down the truth in the three languages that everybody spoke or understood in that day, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he dies for that truth. When you are tempted, when I am tempted, to play around with it, the truth in a matter, to withhold, to obfuscate, to speak a partial, to distort, to diminish. When it would be to my advantage because it seems like, economically, I could lose my job, or I could lose this opportunity, or people might not like me, or I could lose popularity. Remember the one who spoke truth on your behalf for you, who stood up to all the powers of this world, both religious, moral, and political, and military. It would never let any, anything get in the way between you and him. And I think you will have then all the motivation you need to speak truth and to live out truth in love like he has done for us. Jesus says, that's when you know the truth and that truth will set you free. Let's pray. Lord, this day, um, this one's hard. This is It's amazing how distorted this has gotten in our lifetime, Lord, and how easily it is that we, well, we just don't believe anybody anymore and how that has broken our society in so many ways. And now we just look at people playing power games, Lord. And Lord, make us a people that stand apart, not because we're better than, but because we are just like everyone else. But we want to witness to your kingdom, the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of love, that you have shown us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, make us people of truth who truly, genuinely want what is best for others, that our words and our intentions with our words all align with your gospel and the goodness you have had over our lives. Today, we remember people who are grieving, as um, James has shared at the beginning with Uh, With Sharon Gallup's death, but there have been other deaths in our community as well, Lord, and we pray your comfort and peace on all those who grieve. Um, With the hope of your resurrection, Lord, the truth will ring out. Your truth, that trumpet sound at last, and you will raise Sharon and others to life. And we will shine like the stars, shine like You, Lord Jesus, in your glory and goodness, all because you truly do love us. So bring us that comfort and peace this day. Prepare us, Lord, as we um, will hear your truth of your love in the Lord's Supper as you give to us, as you say, this is my body and this is my blood, and that we would receive you We want to receive that truth in the inward parts of our lives, Lord. And we know, Lord, that um, the truth is we have sinned. We have been false. We have been fickle, Lord. We have been manipulative. The truth is that everyone has sinned and fallen short of your glory, O God, but with you, Lord, By your grace, there is forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and grace that you have called us and made us worthy to receive your goodness, your spirit, all that you are. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, may that be, um, well, open our hands and our hearts and our lives so that we receive you, Lord Jesus, and are empowered by who you are. We ask, O Lord, that you would also bless our tithes and offering this day, that you would uh, not just um, use this financially for this church, but for your mission, your truth and love in this world, that it brings about uh, an alignment in the people in other people's lives, Lord, for our neighbor's sake, Lord, for our community's sake. For, uh, from students and faculty and staff at FGCU to the greater community here in Southwest Florida, Lord, that we would, well, just display your goodness and um, show how others also can come into your kingdom, Lord, that we are no better than anyone else, but your grace is displayed in each one of us, and we thank you for that so for all of these things we lift up to our lives this day confident that you hear us for the sake of our savior your son jesus in his name we pray amen